The church is made up of people like you and me and all of them. The church offers a ton of benefits. When we love each other, we each feel like a part of the family. When we encourage each other, we each gain confidence. When we accept each other, we feel like we belong. When we care for each other, we each feel supported. We're all a vital piece in making the church what it was meant to be. When these are lived out well, the church is a community with amazing perks. What's up, North Northridge Church? Hope you guys are doing well wherever you might find yourself today. I'm so excited to be with you guys today. I'm, uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Graham Sproul. I oversee our youth ministry here at Northridge, and I'm pumped to be jumping into uh, week four of our Church Perks series. Uh, to start today out, I really want to take us back to about 25 years ago in the year of 1995 in the city of Pittsburgh, where a uh, five-foot-six, 270-pound man walked into two Pittsburgh banks wearing no mask, no disguise, and robbed the banks in broad daylight. What makes this interesting is that as this man was walking out of the banks that he just robbed, he looked directly at the surveillance cameras and smiled. <laughs> well, when authorities clearly saw who the man was, they arrested him, they arrested him and uh, throughout the interrogation process, uh, they showed him the surveillance footage to prove that it was him indeed that robbed these two banks. And as this guy is watching himself smile at the surveillance cameras, he is completely shook. He's completely surprised at what he's watching. See, this guy had, had been under the impression uh, that if he rubbed lemon juice on his skin, he would be virtually undetectable to surveillance cameras, invisible. The police officers noted that as they were interrogating him, they heard him mumble the words, but I wore the juice. <laughs> it sounds creepy, right? Well, this uh, interesting and fascinating event transpired into some psychological studies, uh, basically around this idea of the Dunning-Kruger effect, or the illusion of confidence, where somebody can be so confident in a reality that they themselves have created that just isn't real. And the, the person who wrote this article, her name was Kate Fellhaber. She's a postdoctoral student at UCLA. Uh, she said that police concluded that this man did not have a mental health condition. He was not on drugs. He was just severely mistaken. And that kind of led people to say, man, how can somebody get to that place where they've created a reality where lemon juice would make you undetectable to surveillance cameras? And uh, Kate Fellhaber points out that we even see this reality take place on shows like American Idol, right? You, you see this person who has trained their entire life to be the next American Idol. They're gonna get to Hollywood. They're probably gonna be in the top 10, most likely going to win. And they get to that moment where they look legendary, Lionel Richie, Katy Perry, and Luke Bryan in the face, and they sing it out, belt it out, I might add, and you know where this is going. What does it sound like? Terrible, sounds like an elephant, right? And you and I, as we watch this on live television, I'm sure we're thinking, man, how do you get to this place, to this place, and think that you could sing? And nobody told you that you couldn't sing. How, how can your uh, reality be so shaped by a confidence that just isn't right? Modern psychology might call it the Dunning-Kruger effect, but the prophet Jeremiah would say, the heart is deceitful 
above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? Unless we think that we can laugh at somebody else's folly, thinking that we ourselves don't do the same thing in certain areas of our lives, let's examine biblically our tendency to be deceived. The church perk that we're gonna talk about today uh, doesn't really taste like candy. In fact, if, if you have a, a plate of dinner in front of you, this is for all my teenagers out there, you're going carbs first, right? You're like, man, let me get the mashed potatoes, let me get the mac and cheese, the steak, but the green stuff, eesh, I'm all right, I'll save that for later. What does mom or dad say? Eat the greens, it's good for you, eat the vegetables. Today's church perk is really like the vegetables of church perks. One that we might not think about all that often or go to initially, but something that I believe can be a game changer in our spiritual health. The church work that we're gonna talk about today is called Confession. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love it if you jumped over to James chapter five. And specifically, we're gonna be looking at verse 16, and I'm gonna read verse 16 first, and then we'll read it within its larger context. So James writes this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. So that's the church perk. Let's read it in its fuller context. Verse, starting at verse 13, James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, right off the bat, I wanna address the fact that this passage might be pretty confusing for some of us, myself included. I mean, we're talking about praying in faith, we're talking about anointing with oil, we're talking about healing. Like, you really could do a whole nother sermon on the first half of this passage but I really wanna do our best to focus in on verse 16 on the one another command, but I do think we need to set the stage a little bit with verses 13 through 16. You could sum up verses 13 through 16 by saying, faith-filled prayer is always appropriate for the church. Faith-filled prayer is always appropriate for the church. James is basically saying you can never go wrong when you pray with faith in every single situation. Happy, sick, sad, But verses 14 and 15 is where it gets pretty specific, right? James says this, is anyone among you sick? And that word sick most often times in the gospels and acts is physical sickness, physical illness. It says, let them call the elders of the church or the pastors of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, why use oil with prayer, James? Like, did you read this on a blog? Do we need a diffuser? We talking just slapping some eucalyptus oil up on somebody's head? Like, why do such a thing? What's the significance of oil? Well, I don't have a a ton of time to jump into it today. I'd push you to listen to the podcast this upcoming week as we will talk about it there. But here's one thing we can know. Either way someone might view the oil in this passage, James makes it clear that's not what heals somebody. Because what does verse 15 say? says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. So it's the prayer of faith that heals. But James goes further. He says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. If they have sinned. That's interesting. Why would he say that? Well, in the Jewish mindset of this time, it was often uh, believed that somebody's physical illness was associated with their personal sin. If you think about the Old Testament book of Job, Job is suffering immensely and he's got friends coming up to him and basically accusing him and saying, 
what wickedness have you done to, to deserve this from God? And he's like, dude, I don't know. I'm actually talking with God about this right now. I, I'm blameless. I don't know how this happened. Or if you think about the, the New Testament in John chapter 9, Jesus' disciples see a guy who was born blind and is like, they're talking to Jesus and they're like, hey, what did this guy's parents do that made him turn out like that? What, what did this guy do that made him born blind? And Jesus is like, he did absolutely nothing. <laughs> and these scriptures, as we read them in context, point to the overarching truth that we see throughout scripture that we live in a fallen world where, where things are broken. And there is such a thing as physical illness, but it does not mean that it's always connected with sin. In fact, more times than not, it's not connected with somebody's personal sin. It's just an effect of the fall, a broken world. But the Bible doesn't rule out that possibility. If you think about the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, 30, in warning the Corinthian church as they were abusing the Lord's Supper, he basically is like, yo, this sin that you're committing by abusing the Lord's Supper is why some of you are sick. It's why some of you have even died. And James, in the text that we read today, is, is leaving open the possibility of a physical illness caused by somebody's unconfessed, unrepentant sin, and that person needing the immediate treatment of the faith-filled prayers of their pastors for healing and forgiveness. James doesn't say that's always the case. He simply says, if that is the case. So in our one another passage today, James actually gives the church a preventative step so that you are not somebody who's living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin, so that then causes a greater illness or greater problem in your life. Because that's where our, our one another comes in. James 5.16 it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So why do we confess? We confess because confession postures us for spiritual growth. James is basically saying, look, get into the habit of, as a family of God of confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another so that there's not even a possibility for unconfessed sin to be the reason of stalling God's work in your life, of, of causing greater problems in your life. Here's the thing, I love donuts. They're cheap, they're sweet, you can eat about 50 of them, especially if we're talking about hot and ready now, crispy creamers, but if that's all I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna pay for it one day, medically, physically, financially. And so while I may not want to, it's better to get into the rhythm of eating those vegetables, those things like kale and carrots now that will promote a healthier and Lord willing, a longer lifestyle. In the same way as followers of Jesus, a consistent diet of confession keeps us spiritually healthy. Why is that? Because it keeps our reality in check. That reality being namely that the fact that, yes, while we have been saved by the grace of, of God and we are, are saved by the gospel, and that's an amazing, amazing truth, no, we have not yet made it to Jesus in eternity. And so we still look around in our lives and in our world and still see the very real power and presence of sin. So we haven't made it yet, and it's in this tension that God wants to use confession in our lives to set us apart, to make us look more like him day after day, that we don't end up like the dude who's confident in a reality where lemon juice would make you undetectable to a surveillance camera. And so if confession keeps our reality in check and it postures us for spiritual growth, then what's gonna, what's gonna hinder that? Simply put, deception. If confession postures us for growth, deception hinders it. But deception's a pretty strong word, right? Like, is that really what's gonna hinder people from spiritual growth? Let's, let's look at 
Ephesians chapter six, Paul writes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, how do these spiritual forces of evil operate? Jesus tells us when he's speaking to a group of people in John chapter eight, he says this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so from these two scriptures, we know, number one, that our battle primarily is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against uh, the principalities that we can't see. And the realm in which our spiritual enemy operates is a realm of deception, And as we quoted earlier, the prophet Jeremiah, noting the fact that people's hearts before Jesus are deceitful, they're impossible to understand. And that pattern of deceit that all of us lived in prior to Jesus is one that we have to consistently throw off and throw away as we grow to become more like Jesus every single day, which is why all throughout the New Testament, we see these challenges like Paul in Ephesians chapter four. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. But Paul wants us to know that this is not an individual siloed activity, this process of putting off the old self and putting on God's best, God's true righteous and holy self. Because he follows this up in verse 25 by saying, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So it's in the context of the body of Christ that we put off falsehood by speaking truthfully with one another, by being honest. We see in the New Testament this battle against the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Think about it, what is sin? Both on a micro and on a macro level, sin is believing the lie that something or someone is more great is greater or more satisfying than the God of the universe who created us for himself. It's believing that. Paul says this in Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth about God for a what? Lie. Worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. The root of sin is that we trade the real thing for a lie. We're, we're deceived. We don't battle against flesh and blood. The, the, the realm in which our spiritual enemy operates is a realm of deception. Which is why James, a few chapters earlier in chapter one, would make this argument. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. When we confess our sins, we, as James says, we do what the word says. But I think as we look at this, this is kind of a a pretty big idea. What does this actually look like, fleshed out in the context of the church? I think there are two types of confession that we have to pursue. Number one, We've gotta confess everything in prayer. Confess everything to God in prayer. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So there's this vertical confession that as we pray without ceasing, as we have our daily conversation with God, as we mess up, we get too angry here, we can say, ah, Lord, help me. Man, I, I messed up, I'm sorry that I did that. Purify me, Lord, make me new. But as we've seen in our text in James today, that's not the only type of confession, right? That there are commands to confess sin to one another. So if we confess everything to God in prayer, what does this look like for people? 
confess some things in person? What things, you ask? Great question. I'd say generally speaking, confess generalized, uh, generalized thought patterns and specific actions. So generalized thought patterns. Jesus says in, in Matthew 18, he says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. And Jesus is symbolically speaking of killing sin at the root, making sure that those generalized thought patterns don't take action. And that involves inviting people into our lives and sharing those things that, are, uh, that we're struggling with. Hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you gotta share every single negative thought that you have about this person because you're about to be blowing up somebody's phone and they're gonna stop picking up. You're gonna wear some people out. So you don't have to confess every single tiny thought. It's just, hey, I got too angry this week as I watched the news or as I looked at social media. I was impatient with my kids this week. I felt the pull back to that addiction that I don't want to do. We, we confess generalized thought patterns. What about specific actions? We confess specific actions when we sin against somebody and hurt somebody, intentionally or unintentionally. Jesus says this in, in Matthew chapter five, he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So we see that our worship to, to God, our connection with God is directly affected by our living in unconfessed sin. I know this life, right? I, I might have a, uh, an argument or, or be selfish with my wife, Jess, and if I come up in, in church and I'm hearing Drew preach, I'm not really gonna hear Drew preach because my heart is hardened toward my wife. I gotta make sure that relationship is right before I can properly worship God. I've gotta fix that. And here's the thing. Because there is no uh, specific verse in the Bible that says, confess at this time to this person on this day, you know, th there's no specific verse in the Bible like that. This sort of uh, one another takes discernment. It can be subjective sometimes. And so we've got to approach these confession moments with trusted people with prayer and discernment. And another key distinction that we have to make is there is a difference between justification and confession as a means of spiritual health and growth. Justification is a big word, but basically justification changes your position. Confession reminds you of your acceptance. So justification is God's declaration over your life solely by the blood of Jesus when you place your faith in Jesus that you are righteous. No priest can do that, no pastor can do that, your community group can't do that, no human being can do that, only Jesus can do that. But what the local church and uh, what your spiritual community does have the power to do is point you back to that moment, that truth of justification, that you are justified, made right in Christ. And God wants to use confession to point us back to that truth. You know, as I, as I think and, and talk about confession, confession has meant a lot to me personally because God has revealed to me through this one another um, areas that... I needed freedom in that I didn't even know that I needed freedom in. There was one specific uh, thing that, that I had watched when I was an ignorant teenager, really before I, I was walking with Jesus. And um, as, after I watched it, it really stuck with me. Like it really just kind of sat in my head. And after coming to know Christ, when I was about 16 or so, that thought would come sometimes resurface in my head and I would shove it down because I was like, man, that's the old me. I was a dumb teenager who didn't follow Jesus. And I'd shove that thought down 
And I was thinking that, man, Satan's trying to hold my past above my head. The enemy's trying to hold my past above my head. And so I just kind of reject that thought every time it came to me. And I went on into college and it wasn't until my senior year of, of college that one night I just had this night of clarity where God made it abundantly clear of like, hey, that's not Satan holding your past above your head. That's actually me asking that you would give that over. That you, that you would stop allowing that to hold you in, in bondage. And uh, that kind of turned into me on a bathroom floor, confessing that sin to God. First John 1, 9, asking for God's forgiveness, for God's cleansing power. And it was an amazing time. But once that time was done, I knew God was, was putting it on my heart. Hey, you, you need to share this. You need to confess this with trusted brothers in Christ. And straight up, that thought terrified me immediately. I was like, no, like, like that's the old me. They, they can't know about that because they're gonna, they're gonna think less of me. They're gonna be like, oh my gosh, like, who are you? They're gonna reject me. And this fear of rejection uh, would stall me from, from confessing this to trusted brothers in Christ. And I can remember being at a prayer meeting, right? Three of my really good friends, brothers in the Lord that were around me. And at this prayer meeting, God was just, just hammering home on my heart you've got to get this out. You've got to put this in the light. It cannot hold you any longer. And I was so scared in, in, in the final moment where I built up enough courage to bring this forward and say, guys, I got to confess something to you. This was really before I started walking with Jesus, but man, here's something that I, that I watched that really stuck with me um, in, in ways that are unhealthy. And, and, and I just began to confess these sins specifically. And the most amazing thing took place. Those three brothers, they, they heard me out, they let me finish. I'm, I'm sketching out, I'm like, what are they gonna think? Are they gonna reject me? And they looked at me and they laid their hands on me in James 5, 16 fashion and they said, you are justified by Christ alone. There's uh, no longer condemnation because you are in Christ. And they began to just pray and speak the truths of the gospel over me. And I walked out of that prayer meeting experiencing the freedom and the healing that James talks about in this verse. And I think it's, it's oftentimes the, the voice of the enemy that says, hold it down, don't say anything. I mean, is it really hurting you? Do they really need to know? I mean, you confessed it to God, just don't, don't say anything. And as we listen to that voice, because it sounds like us, we trust it and we don't say anything and, and we cannot even realize that we're being hardened in areas of our hearts that we can't even see a place where God wants to bring about healing and wholeness. I think one of the reasons that we believe those, those whispering lies to, to push it down is not only that we fear rejection, but it's that we fear the consequences of, of whatever action we've committed. And I just wanna be real, just because you bring something forward in confession doesn't mean that completely erases the hurt that you might've caused to somebody else. Just because you confess it does not mean that there's not a process of healing that God wants to do in your life, oftentimes including uh, the consequences of actions if there are consequences. The beautiful part of relational confession is as we face those consequences, we do so under the umbrella of spiritual freedom, spiritual rest the truth of, of God's incredible justification that we are free in Christ. That is an amazing truth that we worship God for every day of our life. That does not negate the fact that we are on a constant 
path of needing healing and wholeness in our souls as we seek to look more like Jesus every single day, as we put off the old self, corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Is it gonna hurt? Yeah. Is it gonna be scary? Yeah. Is it gonna take probably more vulnerability than you have maybe ever built up the courage to have, most likely, but will it bring spiritual freedom? You can bank on it. I want you to think about one of the major problems that people have with the church. It's an H word, hypocrisy. Church that says one thing, it looks completely different behind the scenes. I think we as members of the body of Christ, oftentimes we think we look really good. We think we can sing really good. And in moments where the church should be standing up uh, to show the world what authentic relationships look like and what it looks like to love and walk with people, even in our brokenness, people look at us and say, yikes, did you not know you can't sing, bro? The church perk of confession owns the moments when we can't sing. It owns the moments when we thought lemon juice would cover, cover us up. Now hear me, hear me say this, it doesn't mean we're not gonna fail miserably. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna think lemon juice might cover us up. That'd be ridiculous to think that we're gonna be perfect, but it means that when we do, we own it. That we as Jesus followers aren't afraid to say, man, you're right. I messed up and I hurt you and I hurt other people. Intentionally or unintentionally, I'm committed to you. I love you. I wanna walk with you. Will you help me be more like Jesus? And we're not afraid to bring it forward. You might be wondering, what's the church perk of confession? The perk is that the church provides a place where you can experience spiritual freedom. As we close out today, I wanna to read a, a prayer from an ancient king named David, king of Israel, uh, that really shows the, the, the heaviness, the physical toll that, that living an unconfessed sin takes on us, but the spiritual freedom that we find when we confess. Psalm chapter 32, I'll read it and then I'll pray for us. David says, verse three, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt my sin. God, thank you for the truth that we find in your word that you are ready to forgive. But not only that, you call your people to be ready to forgive, ready to walk with people when uh, we, we fall. Lord, reveal in our hearts the things that only you can, the lies that we've believed that has, that has kept us in the dark. May we bring it uh, before your holy light um, and be radically changed and experience the, the truths that we know of the gospel intellectually, experience them practically as we do life together and experience these church perks. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray, amen. You know, maybe as I was talking today about justification, you, you thought, man, I haven't even gotten to that step in the equation. Man, I, I wanna know what it's like to have God declare me righteous before his sight, no matter what I've done. If that's you and you have more questions about that and you want somebody to walk you through what it means to be justified by Christ in the sight of God, why don't you text TRUST to 585-210-8564.
and somebody will be there to chat that through with you. Or maybe for you, you're a follower of Jesus and maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for some time now. And you were like me. You're shoving the very thing down that God says, hey, will you hand that over to me? Will you give that over to me? Man, do it. It's hard. It's scary. But call that trusted friend that you know you can share this with and they can remind you of the truths of the gospel and walk with you in a path towards spiritual healing. Call that friend. Confess. Live this church perk out. It is a game changer in your spiritual health. Hey, thanks so much for allowing me to spend some time today and and get to hang out and talk about the church perk of confession. We are so stinking excited for August 9th. I know Drew talked about that, but seriously, we cannot wait to see you. So mark your calendars, get ready. You might wanna do some stretches before because you are gonna be so hyped, it's gonna be awesome. Hey, we love you guys and we'll see you next week.